Well, in the Armstrong Redwood National State Reserve, it's just located just outside of San Francisco, there are these giant redwoods that extend skyward over a football field in length. And they've, been, they've stood for, for centuries despite the heavy winds and the storms that, that have battered them throughout the years. And we have to ask, well, how is that? I mean, how are they able to remain upright against the fierce winds that batter them? Well, they're able to face the storm after storm after storm without toppling over because of their root system. Now, the, the individual trees, you know, they, they have roots that, are, that only go down about 12 feet into the ground. And you think about that and you're like, well, 12 foot is not very, you're not shallow, but, but I mean, how can that hold a tree that is extending over a football field in length into the sky? It just it doesn't seem like it makes sense for that to take place. And on these root, on, on, on their own, these roots would be inadequate. They would not be able to hold that tree in there. But if you scraped back the ground, you would notice that there are these intertwined system of roots that are there. The redwoods are able to stand because they live in community with one another. In other words, they, they depend on one another for strength. Well, what they could not do on their own, they're able to do because they live in community with one another. And that's how they have been able to stand for hundreds of years despite the storms that battle them. And, and likewise, the only way that we're going to endure the storms of life and learn Jesus as God has intended is by living in community with one another. Our spiritual roots must not just extend deep, but, but our spiritual roots must also extend wide. We must be connected to and depend on one another. We must see one another as a means to learn Christ and to remain steadfast against the storms of life. And I believe this is one of the more difficult concepts for American Christians to get and to put into practice. So let me just say... You know, I believe the United States is, is the greatest country in the world. I, I love our country. I thank God regularly that, that I have been born and I'm a citizen of the United States. But here's the thing. We have to be aware that the culture influences us. And not only do we need to know that, that the culture is a, is a powerful influence over our lives, but we need to know the ways in which the culture influences us. And as citizens of the United States, we are influenced to be fiercely independent. We are taught to rely on ourselves and, and no one else. That all we need to be successful is self-effort with a little bit of ingenuity and a, and a bit of luck sprinkled on top. And while it is true, nobody is going to, to do it for you. You can't expect others to, to make, make things happen on your behalf. There is no substitute for hard work. All of those things are true. I'm not saying that they're not. They are all true. While all that is true, we can't fall into the trap of believing that we don't need one another. That we can do it on our own. That, that we don't need Christian community. We do. We need one another. And over a decade of ministry, I have seen this to hold true. I've seen both men and women come to the church. I've seen them, them plug in. I've seen them grow in Christ, grow in their faith, grow in their understanding of God's Word. I've seen them begin to live like Jesus. But then something happens. You know, their, their work schedule changes. They have a, a family issue that they are maybe embarrassed about. They don't want other people to, to really know. They are burned out by the church. They, you know, conflict is not 
dealt with in a, a biblical way. And for one reason or another, what happens is they begin to pull away from the church. They have been to, to attend a, a little bit less often. And soon a, a little less turns into a lot less. And then all of a sudden they're, they're ghosting you, right? They're not answering your phone calls. They're not answering your text messages or anything like that. They, they, they turn down invitations to, to coffee or to lunch or to dinner to, to check in on them. Or they may just not even respond when you, when you ask. They begin to isolate themselves from Christian community. And the next thing that happens is, well, they're suffering from marital problems. They're abusing a substance. They're compromising in their business. They aren't standing firm on their faith. They're not living on mission for Jesus. They aren't accomplishing their purpose in life, which is to bring glory to God. Instead, they are seeking self-glory. You see, if we're going to remain steadfast, we need Christian community. It's the only way that we are going to grow. It's the only way that we are going to see transformation and stand against the myriad of storms that come against us in our life. We need community. But we don't just need any type of community. No, we need a certain type of community. We don't need community that mirrors a country club. We don't need community that just caters to our own preferences. We don't need community and we don't need people around us who won't be real with us when we are in sin. We don't need community like that. We can get community like that in the world and the church is supposed to be different than the world. We're supposed to offer a different type of community. And the type of the community that the church should offer, the type of community that, that we need to be a part of is an authentic and interdependent, transformative learning community. If we're a part of that community, we are not going to topple because we have other people who we can lean on. We have other people who are going to strengthen us. We have other people who are going to teach us to think and to live like Jesus and encourage us along the way in our spiritual journey. We need to be a part of an authentic and interdependent, transformative learning community. Now that's a mouthful. And so what does all that mean? What does this type of community look like? Well, I believe we see an example of that in Acts chapter 2. And so let's just break this down piece by piece. First we see disciples must be a part of a transformative learning community. Acts chapter 2, it's an amazing story. I'd, I'd encourage you to go and, and read through the entire chapter when you get home this afternoon. And it's an amazing story of, of the gospel at work and the Spirit at work in the hearts of the people. Not only does the Spirit empower the disciples to witness to the people, but, but their unique witness in the language of the people gave Peter a platform to speak the gospel to a, a large crowd. And then the, the Spirit works through Peter's message to the people and he stirs the gospel in their hearts so that they believe and they come to faith in Christ. And 3,000 people, we are told, are added to the church that day. I mean, that is simply amazing. Imagine if 3,000 people were added to our church today. That would be absolutely fantastic and yet a little bit fearful at the same time of figuring out the logistics of how to handle all of that, but it would be amazing. And I'm sure the first church is experiencing some of these issues, but also excited as well that the Lord is working, that people are coming to faith in Christ. And notice what happens after these folks come to faith. The church gathered together in community with one another to learn Christ. We see that in verse 42. 
And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Notice what they did. They, they devoted themselves. And when you devote yourself to something, you are giving yourself to that particular activity with an intense effort over a sustained period of time. It's not just something you do for a little bit. It's, it's long-term activity. You are dedicating yourself to that activity. And one of the things that we are told that the first church dedicated themselves to, devoted themselves to, was the apostles' teaching about Jesus. These people went from being pagans, right? These people went from, from others who were wrapped up in, in Judaism to those who were devoted to learning a whole new way of life in Christ. As the apostles taught, they learned Christ. They learned how to think and they learned how to act like Jesus. They weren't people who were out just to get their fire insurance so they could go to heaven one day. No, they saw the importance of stepping into a new way of life that Jesus opened up to them. The apostles' teaching, it wasn't forced on them. They didn't go to church kicking and screaming or, or begrudgingly. They, they wanted to be there. They wanted to gather together with other people. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and they saw the importance of that. And the apostles' teaching took place in several different settings. Verse 46 again, day by day, what, they attended the temple. They, they, they were breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. The apostles and the church gathered together in a large assembly. They gathered together in small groups. And I don't believe that one setting is better than the other, right? We need a large setting where we're hearing the preaching of the Word. We need small groups where they're gathering together with other people to discuss God's Word in more of a conversational Bible study type format. We need both of these. Both of these allow us to seek transformation. And that is exactly what took place. The church was transformed as they learned Christ in community. And that's the best place for transformation to take place, in community with one another. We can't just get along with Jesus in our Bible and expect the same type of transformation to take place as happens when we are in community with other people. And don't hear me say we, we certainly need quiet times. We certainly need to get, get out a Bible reading plan and read through the scripture on our own. We need to, to pray on our own. We need that type of, of activity. But we also need to gather together with other people, right? I mean, when you are mixing with other people, when you are having to, to work with other people, there's transformation that is taking place. When you're hearing how other people are, are interpreting scripture, there's transformation that is taking place. When you have to interact with others, transformation takes place. And we are transformed as we gather together in a learning community. And can I just say, watching church online is not the same as being physically present with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Right? I, I, a virtual service should not take the place of a physical service. It's helpful. You know, it allows us to hear and hear the Word of God. It allows us to, to sing along with, with the church that we are a part of when we cannot be there. I'm thankful that we're able to offer that for sure, especially during the times in which we live in, but it's not a substitute for gathering together with one another. And I mean, I know this personally, right? Over this pandemic, there's been two times when I have not been able to come and participate, and last week was, was one of them. Now, I was thankful that we had a live service that I could 
I could watch. I was thankful to be able to sing along with you guys. I was thankful to, to watch Ryan and be able to, to, to preach, you know, live and to participate in all of that stuff. But, but there's a disconnect that was there. You know, while I saw some people here, I wasn't able to, to interact with them. I wasn't able to, to talk with them. And, and sometimes that's okay. Maybe you're out of town. Maybe you're sick. Maybe, maybe you just can't get out. But, but, to, but to think of that as a replacement for the normal gathering of the church is hindering our ability to grow in Christ. You see, disciples, they gather together in transformative learning community. And that means they actually get into community with one another. And that leads me to my next point. Disciples gather together in authentic community. Now that word authentic is a word that gets thrown around all the time, right? Everybody wants to be authentic. You got clothes that are authentic and shoes and bags and drinks and coffee and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Throw the word authentic in front of it and you've got a great marketing campaign. It seems everybody wants to be authentic these days. But, but have you ever really thought about what the word authentic actually means? When you look that word up in the dictionary, you find that one of the definitions of the word is that you are genuine. And that's how I'm using authentic here, that we are genuine. As disciples of Christ, we are to be genuine. Verse 42 reveals, I believe, what that means. They devoted themselves to the apostles, teaching the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers. As we look at this verse, we learn that authentic community occurs when we, when we are genuinely sharing our lives with one another so that we might grow in Christ. Authentic people genuinely care about those that, that they are in community with, those that they interact with. They, they genuinely want to see other people built up in the faith. They genuinely want to use their God-given spiritual gifts to minister to one another. There are no ulterior motives that they have at all. Those who are authentic gather together in a transformative learning community, not only because they want to grow to be more like Christ, but because they want to see others around them grow to be more like Christ. If you catch yourself saying, or maybe you catch yourself thinking, you know, I know that, that I should talk with that person about what is going on in their life, but, but, but I'm not going to do that because I know that it's going to hinder my relationship with them or, or maybe they're going to react in a negative way. If that's your mentality, then your relationship with that person is not authentic. Your relationship with that person is based on what you can get out of that relationship and you're not willing to hinder what it is that you can get out of that relationship for that person's spiritual growth, for their transformation in Christ. Authentic disciples are willing to speak the truth in love, but they are also willing to share their life with those with whom they are in community. When someone asks, how are you doing? Authentic disciples, they, they share how they are really doing. When someone asks, how can I pray for you? Authentic disciples talk about how you can really pray for them. And, and we had, I mean, why are we afraid to share our struggles with others, and to ask for prayer. Well, I believe it's because we value other people's opinion over our own spiritual growth. But here's the thing. Well, we ought 
to be able to share our struggles with other people because their acceptance of us should not ultimately matter. As Christians, we have the greatest acceptance that we could ever want. That is the acceptance of Jesus. And Jesus' acceptance is unconditional. It's not based on our appearance. It's not based on what we look like. It's not based on how our life is going. Right? It's not based on any of those things. It is based on what Jesus has done for us, how he has spilt his blood for us. It's not based on our actions on a daily basis. If it was, well, we wouldn't have a relationship with Jesus, right? Because we fail over and over again. We rebel against God over and over again. We think that we know what is right and what we can do better than God. That's not true. That's what sin is. And even as Christians, we are still plagued by sin. You see, his acceptance is not based on how well put together we are or what our social media profile looks like. It's not based on any of that stuff. And if we're just real for a minute, I mean, we are all messed up, jacked up people. None of us have it all together, do we? None of us have it all together. To think that that you are the only one that is struggling with something in your life is a lie from Satan. We are all struggling with something, which means that we all need prayer with something. And if this is true, that it's Jesus' acceptance that matters, and the only acceptance that we matter is through Jesus, then we can and we should ask others to pray for us. Transformation doesn't happen without teaching. It doesn't happen without counsel. It doesn't happen without prayer. Transformation doesn't happen if we aren't willing to be authentic and real with one another about what is actually going on in our lives. And can I just say, asking for prayer is not asking for an unspoken prayer request. If we're going to be authentic disciples who really care about our growth in Christ, we should be able to tell other people that we're in community with for years and years and years what it is that we are struggling with. We need, as Christians, to throw out the phrase, I have an unspoken prayer request. If you're not willing to share it in a large group, find somebody that you can share it with. You don't have to share everything with the large Sunday school class or with the church at large. But you should have people in your life that you can go to and say, brother, sister, this is what I'm struggling with. This is what I need help with. This is what I need for you to pray for me about. And not just our physical needs, but our spiritual needs as well, because we all have those. And that brings me to my last point. Disciples must live in an interdependent community if they want to see transformation. Look at verse 44. He says, And all who believed were together, and all had things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And what I want to draw your attention to in this collection of verses here is the word together. It appears in verse 46 and appears in verse 47. And while they're translated the same word in English, they are two different Greek words here. Verse 44, the Greek word is epi, and it has to do with physical location. And what that tells us is that these early Christians lived in the same place. In other words, they lived in close proximity to one another. 
They were in a small community. Verse 41 says that 3,000 people were added to the church that day. And we could look at that and say, is this the church at large? Is this the local church? I mean, some people probably went back to their homes after they heard Peter's preaching, but a lot of people gathered together there with the church. And along with those who initially believed, we also learn in verse 47 that, that others were being added to the church each and every single day. And so this was a massive community of people living together with one another. And I'm not exactly sure what this first community looked like. All I know is that people were selling their possessions. They were moving so that they could be close to other people who believed in Christ at this time. Now, I don't think this means that we got to sell our house. I don't think this means we got to secure a plot of land and we all need to, to move on that same plot of land together. What I believe this means for 21st century Christians and what we are to take from this is that the church we are members of should be a church that is local to us. In other words, it should be in the community in which we live. We should not, we should, we should excuse me, be able to run into other people that we go to church with at the store. Right? This means that, that we shouldn't be a member of a church that is located way outside of our community just because it is the popular church in town. Now, if we live somewhere where you know, churches, biblically preaching faithful churches, you know, are sparse, then you might need to drive 45 minutes to an hour to get there, right? But we don't live in that, in that area, right? We live in the Bible Belt. There's a church like on every single corner. And so you should be able to find a church in your local community that you can plug into. You should be able to live in close proximity to those that you attend church with. And that makes sense if we're going to genuinely devote our lives to one another, right? It's hard to devote our lives to one another if we don't ever see one another except for maybe an hour on Sunday and we just say, hey, from our pew and that's it. And then we go and live our life for the rest of the week, right? You're not devoting your life to that person. You're not helping them to grow in Christ by just giving them a wave or a handshake during the service, right? We have to live in close proximity with one another as the early church did. We must attend a church that is local to us and we must be plugged into that church that is local to us. And that idea brings us to the second together. In verse 46, the Greek word there is homothumidon. And literally this word means that we would have the same fiery passion. It means to be intensely unified with another person like fans who cheer on the home team. Right now, I know a lot of you like football. Cowboys didn't make it, so I'm not going to use them in my illustration. But, but let's, let's think about Red Oak, right? Uh, you, you probably attend some of the homecoming games, even if you don't go to all of the other games that year. And those who attend those activities, right, they don't sit there half asleep. They're not just falling asleep, right? They're engaged, they're cheering, they're, they're rooting for the home team. If you were to take a step back, if you were to get a bird's eye view of the stands, Red Oak is down, they're driving down the field for that final touchdown to win the game, and then boom, it happens. There's this Hail Mary throw, the guy catches it in the end zone, and they win the game. Man, the stands are going to be going wild. There's going to be this fiery, intense passion. There's going to be this unity with one another as they're cheering and celebrating on the home team. And that is what this translation and what is it, this word is trying to communicate. That we would have the same fiery passion or, or some translations translated as that you would be in one accord with other people. But it doesn't just 
carry the idea that we would be in one accord with one another as a spectator at a sporting event, right? It goes much deeper than that. It carries the idea that we would be together in one accord with one another on a deep spiritual and emotional level. That's what this word is is trying to communicate. That's what this word is trying to, to tell us, that we are together with one another. We are in one accord with one another. There is a unity of, of thought and mind that takes place. There is a unity of mission. There's a care for one another, and every other person cares for that person, which means that we are to live interdependently. Not independent, but interdependently. And living interdependently means that we are together in both proximity and in dependent community. I mean, think about those redwoods that, that I open with. They exist in proximity to one another. Certainly, they're in a forest. But they also exist in dependence with one another. They live in an interdependent community with one another. And that's how the first church lived as well. That's how we are to live. We are to live in an interdependent community. And living in an interdependent community not only means that we live in close close proximity with one another, but interdependent community takes us much deeper than proximity. To a certain extent, it's easy to live in proximity to somebody, right? You just live in the same community, you attend the same church, you maybe sit on the same pew with them, you go to the same Sunday school class, right? It's easy to get in proximity with other people. And that is the first and necessary step to living in interdependent community But we can't just stop at proximity, right? We have to keep going until we are living lives that are depending on one another for growth and godliness. We need to get to a place where we believe that we need each other to grow in Christ, that we need more than this Jesus, a Bible, and a quiet place, that we need one another to grow in Christ. We have to recognize that or we're not going to live an interdependent community with one another. We're going to think that we can do it on our own. We're going to think that that we don't need other people to pray for us. And we're not going to ask other people to pray for us because we think we can handle it on our own. We're not going to ask other people to hold us accountable because we think that we can handle it on our own. We're not going to gather together with other people in Bible study because we're going to think that we can handle it on our own. We are not going to serve one another. We're not going to use our spiritual gifts because we think that we got to go at it alone. But that is far from the truth that the Bible is trying to paint for us. You see, we must get to a place where we believe that we need one another in order to grow in Christ and to accomplish the mission that the church has. The first church saw that need. It drove them to to sell everything, to to pick up and to move so that they would be able to be around one another. It drove them to gather together with one another on a daily basis so they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching to learn Christ together and to seek transformation together. They saw their need for one another. Do we see our need for one another? And are we willing to be open and transparent so that others can fulfill that need in our life. If we want to be a growing, vibrant church that is making disciples, making disciples, we must see that need, and we must allow others to meet that need in our lives. But how, how do we do that? How do we develop interdependent community? Well, we can start by looking at what the first church did, and when we look at what they did, we see that they immerse themselves 
in God's Word together. They prayed together. They shared others' burdens. They laughed. They cried. They, they parented. They ate together. They celebrated the Lord's Supper together, proclaiming that they believed in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They served each other in the community. They sacrificed for each other in the community. They, they made sure that other people's needs were met. They extended hospitality to those around them. They were on mission together, seeking to win others to faith in Christ and helping them grow grow in their Christian walk. These are some of the things that the early church did. And along with doing these things, they, they saw themselves as a necessary part of the body of Christ. They knew that if, if they were not there, then they would be missed. They knew that if they were not there, they would be hindering the ability for other brothers and sisters in, in Christ to grow in the faith and hindering the church's ability to accomplish the mission. As well as they were willing to share their lives with one another. They were open. They were transparent. They shared more than physical needs. They shared their spiritual needs. We must not only participate in the same activities as they did, but we need to see ourselves as a necessary part of the body of Christ, and we must be willing to share our lives with one another. And those you attend church with, they should know how to pray for you. And not just physical, but spiritual. They should know your fears. They should know your struggles. They should know your joys. They should know the things that you deal with. They should be able to come alongside of you. Now, I know hearing that sounds a bit invasive, right? But that's what it takes for us to live in interdependent community with one another. If we always keep one another at arm's length, if we never let anybody in, we aren't really depending on that person. Instead, we're depending on ourselves. But that's not how the body operates, right? Your arm doesn't just depend on itself. Your arm depends on the rest of your body to move and to live and to act and to do all of that stuff. We must live an interdependent community. And when we do, we will see our lives transformed to be more like Christ as we learn Christ together. And the best place to learn Christ then, to learn Jesus is an authentic and interdependent, transformative learning community. As we go back to square one with this series, that's the type of community that we need to build. And that's my challenge to you today. To see yourself as a necessary part of the body of Christ. To press into being a part of a transformative learning community. To be authentic with one another. To depend on one another for transformation and growth and, and godliness. To gather together on mission with one another. That's how we can respond to today's message. By going back to square one. By going back to this type of community that we see painted for us here in Acts chapter 2. And maybe you, today you're not a believer in Christ. You can respond today by becoming a believer in Christ by believing that Jesus indeed paid the price for your sins. That His sacrifice on the cross makes a way for you to have a relationship with the Father, to, to, to come into a transformative learning community like this so that you are learning and growing and existing to be more like Christ. That there is something greater than yourself, that, that you're not seeking self-glory, but you're seeking the glory of God. Today, if you've never professed faith in Christ, then today is an opportunity for you to do that, to repent of your sins 
to believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And if you have, today is an opportunity for you to go back to square one and say, I want to be a part of that type of community. The type of community that is pictured for us here in Acts chapter 2. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll spend time responding to this message. God, we thank you for this day and this opportunity for us to gather together as your church to open your word, to learn what type of church we should be, what type of community we should be. God, it is my prayer today that we would be an authentic and interdependent, transformative learning community, that you would help us to understand what all of that means and that we might apply that to this church, Lord. As we seek to go back to square one, as we seek to build our life in Christ from the ground up, seek to build our community from the ground up, Lord, I pray, God, that we would build into this type of community, that you would help us to do that, God. If there's anyone here, Lord, or if there's anyone watching who doesn't know you, God, I also pray that you might stir in their hearts their need for the gospel, the Spirit might work at this time and regenerate so that they might profess faith in Christ just as we see here in the early church happening. We pray, Lord, for gospel growth. And all this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.